The most famous scary story on radio was the Orson Welles broadcast of the War of the Worlds. After frightening the nation out of its wits, Mr. Wells came back to the CBS microphone with these closing words. This is Orson Welles, ladies and gentlemen. Out of character to assure you that the War of the Worlds has no further significance than as the holiday offering it was intended to be. The Mercury Theater's own radio version of dressing up in a sheet and jumping out of a bush and saying boo. Starting now, we couldn't soap all your windows and steal all your garden gates. By tomorrow night, so we did the next best thing. We annihilated the world before your very ears and utterly destroyed the CBS. You will be relieved, I hope, to learn that we didn't mean it and that both institutions are still open for business. So goodbye, everybody, and remember, please, for the next day or so, the terrible lesson you learned tonight. That grinning, glowing, globular invader of your living room is an inhabitant of the pumpkin patch, and if your doorbell rings and nobody's there, that was no Martian. It's Halloween. Orson Welles loved radio. As a matter of fact, I think it was his first love. He began his radio career on the March of Time program. A couple of years later, he was heard weekly as Lamont Cranston, The Shadow. Then, the Mercury Theater on the air, on which he did the now-famous War of the Worlds broadcast. The Mercury Theater became the Campbell Playhouse at a fat fee for Wells. Year after year, Mr. Wells was on the air for different sponsors for different products. Lady Esther Cosmetics sponsored the Orson Welles Theater. Then there was the Paps Blue Ribbon Show, on which were heard half-hour classics. About a dozen years ago, Mr. Welles was heard on this program in an interview on which was discussed his radio career and the War of the Worlds broadcast. This was my introduction on my Halloween show. Mr. Wells, your program was on the air on CBS, and on the opposing network, NBC, was the Edgar Berg and Charlie McCarthy show. It seems that night, though, a lot of people were tuned into your Mercury Theater broadcast. Right. Wire, which I got next morning from Alexander Wolcott, read as follows. Dear Orson, this only goes to prove what I've always contended, that all intelligent people listen to Charlie McCarthy. <laughs> According to the Hooper rating service, your ratings were down that night. Our, our ratings dropped quite dramatically that night, yes. N the night of the program. War the night of the War of the World. Yeah. Were the ratings uh, much, uh, much lower than usual? It was the lowest ratings we had that year, and they dropped on the night of that show. Mm-hmm. I had been on the cover of Time two years before the War of the World. Everybody has an idea that that was the sort of beginning of what I can call my career. We had a very successful radio show for two years. Mm -hmm. Our ratings were very high. We were giving Charlie a big run for his money. Charlie was, was number one. What happened then? Well, they had Winchell at the end who came on and said, It is not true, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, that the world has been attacked by the Martians. <laughs> by that time, they turned the dial and were listening to you. They weren't listening to anything by then. They were out with towels on their heads. <laughs> now, now, when you and Howard Koch and the rest of the staff were putting the show together, did you say, well, this will really get them, this will really scare the pants off of everybody? Yes, but we didn't think it would get them that much or that many. Uh -huh. You know, this was uh, done for the benefit of a certain lunatic fringe. <laughs> we did realize the uh, extent of the fringe, which included some good friends of mine. Uh, who was that? You know, John Barrymore heard yeah. the program. Yeah. And he had a kennel full of Great Danes. He went out and opened all the gates and said, you know, fend for yourselves. 
<laughs> I understand when the when the broadcast was over, the police arrived at the studio in, in full force. Police were already in the control room during the broadcast, not knowing who to arrest. What happened then? By that time, the people were phoning, you know, we were taking calls. We were saying, you know, I don't know if you think you're funny or not, but we, my wife is in the church on her knees praying and so on, you know, we were saying, sorry, sir. I had a, I had a dress rehearsal in my theater and I had to leave. And you know, a dress rehearsal for a play is much more important than anything like that uh -huh. to all the actors. So I went, it was a different cast. I went, you know, I said, you know, we did the show. And I said, never mind, get to work on the show. And during the intermission, I went out for a minute there on Times Square. I see my name going around the, that thing. Yes. And I came back and said, hey, fellas, you know my name? And they said, please, keep, stop talking about radio. That's my, stay on the show. And then suddenly in came 2,000 newspaper men and killed the... Uh, and killed the dress rehearsal. So I tried to get back to my hotel, which was in St. Regis. And I couldn't get to the hotel because the crowds gathered around it. And what did that do to or, or for your career? Everybody so, thought I was done forever, except to, uh, myself and I think two or three other people. I thought it was a riot, very funny, and mm. could do nothing but good. Mm. But, uh, of course, in CBS, it was very funny. Yeah. Because there wasn't a vice president seen in that building for two weeks. <laughs> On that note, I'll say thank you, Orson Welles.